Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. Six weeks ago on the first Sunday in June, I think it was June 4th, we started our current Rise and Build Summer Series. And with the service today, we are officially halfway through the assignment. And I trust you've enjoyed the series so far. I want to say a couple of you, maybe we could do a little bit better with the second half. Um, But in the way of review, and for the benefit of those just joining us, with the Rise and Build series, We're taking a close and detailed look at two Old Testament books, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And what happens in the opening chapters of the book of Ezra, what we've been studying for the past six weeks now, has oftentimes been referred to as the second exodus. You may or may not have heard that, but Ezra introduces the second exodus. The first exodus was during the time of Moses. Remember that guy? He was the prophet that God used to lead his people out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of that time of bondage. And you can read all about the first exodus in the book of Exodus. In Ezra, following the destruction of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, the nation of Israel was once again displaced. This time... In Babylon. They were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then in the year 538 BC, a Persian king by the name of Cyrus woke up one morning and he decided to set God's people free. If you can believe that, don't know where he got that idea, he just cut the Israelites loose, told them they could go back home and began the long and arduous process of rebuilding. And so historians and Bible scholars call what took place in Ezra, what I just described to you, as the second exodus. And it consisted of three different movements, or three separate parts. Unlike the first exodus, which all happened at once, the second exodus took place in three steps. And we've been talking to you about that now for the last six weeks. First, God called a man by the name of Zerubbabel. He was the one who led the first group of exiles out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. Pastor Chris talked all about this in lesson number two. Zerubbabel was God's choice to lead the rebuilding of the temple project. Next came Ezra. And I talked about this in lesson number three. I told you Ezra was a very sincere and godly man. He was one of the most notable scribes in the entire Bible. And as such, he was devoted to God's word. The scripture tells us he not only studied God's word, taught God's word, but check it out, he actually lived God's word. He obeyed the commandments of God, and he brought the people back to a place of honoring God. By God's grace, uh, Ezra masterminded a great spiritual awakening among the people. And he preached full devotion to God. 
and he became the epitome of what Henry Varley would later say to D.L. Moody in the middle 1800s. Namely, and I quote, the world has yet to see what God can do with one person totally devoted to him. God can do amazing things with just one person. Ezra was that kind of man. And so after Zerubbabel and Ezra completed the first two legs of God's restoration plan, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in the heart of a third man by the name of Nehemiah. And while Nehemiah was still in captivity, God called him to lead a third group of exiles back to Jerusalem. This was the third and final movement in the second exodus. And anybody remember Nehemiah's uh, task? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and shout it out. Rebuild the wall, the city wall of Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. So we've turned the corner on Ezra, and over the next month and a half, we are going to dive into the book of Nehemiah. Let's begin with Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. Are you ready? I believe you are. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with a few other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. I also questioned them about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. What are they in? So not just trouble, great trouble, not just great trouble, great trouble and disgrace. And this is why. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I, Nehemiah, heard these things, I sat down and wept. And the last statement in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah 1, b tells us Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. All right, before we take a look at these verses that we just read here in Nehemiah chapter 1, let's address the whole cupbearer business. The scripture tells us here a, a, a statement that seems out of place, the very end of chapter 1, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And in ancient Bible times, a cupbearer was an extremely important position in the king's court. The cupbearer was the king's own personal attendant. He was required to serve, defend, and protect the king at all costs. Now, one of the main responsibilities, the primary responsibility of the cupbearer, was to taste and sample the food and drink of the king before the king was served. And this was done prior to each and every meal to ensure that the king wasn't being poisoned. That meant the cupbearer was always on the lookout for assassination attempts, which were common in those days, usually by family members or so-called friends. 
In addition to culinary patrol, cupbearers were also uh, people who had access to classified and confidential information. And at times they acted like secret service agents. They were expected to detect suspicious activities and to keep the king safe from any and all harm that might be planned against him. And again, I want you to understand, a great deal of time, effort, and energy was put into the cupbearer. It was a very honorable and extremely prestigious assignment. And with regard to the cupbearer, a passage of scripture found in the book of Daniel comes to mind. It sheds a little bit of light on the man that I think Nehemiah was. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. According to Daniel, these are the kind of men who were selected and qualified to serve in the king's court. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel himself. Nehemiah was cut from the same cloth. And undoubtedly, he was a very gifted and sharp young man. Think about it. He was a stranger, an outsider, brought in from a foreign country, compelled to serve in captivity, and yet he was able to prove to the king that he was a capable and trustworthy man. And we find out in later scripture that the king absolutely loved Nehemiah. And one day, we read these verses just a few moments ago, during the course of normal activities, as Nehemiah is serving the king in this role as cupbearer, he happens to have a conversation with a few of his Jewish brothers, and he asks them to give him a progress report of what was taking place in Jerusalem. He had heard that some exiles had traveled from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and he wanted to know what was taking place. And they told him, well, we have some good news for you. The, the temple's been, re been rebuilt, and temple worship has been, been restored. How I many know that was, that was great news? But then what followed after that, the report that these guys gave, weren't it wasn't very promising. In fact, it was heartbreaking. And the guys told Nehemiah that even though some progress was being made and there were signs of life, the people were greatly discouraged and they were living in disgrace. The wall to the city was still in ruins. The gates had been burned with fire. And the people living there, the people who had made their way back, the exiles, they were continually exposed to the ongoing threats and attack of the enemy. Neighboring peoples that would come there and take advantage of them. They, they were subject to violence and brutality. And when Nehemiah heard that, he could no longer contain himself. And the scripture said, he sat down and wept. This cupbearer champion, defender and protector of the king, put his face in his hands and bawled like a baby. 
Let's read a few more verses here in Nehemiah. Chapter 2 and verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever, why should my face look not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Okay, reading just these few verses that I've shared with you this morning, I believe that I can say with reasonable certainty what kind of man Nehemiah was. Just by the verses we have read this morning. You can almost kind of begin to see the personality and the commitment of Nehemiah. I'm convinced Nehemiah was a fixer. There's no doubt in my mind about that. He was a problem solver. Someone who would offer solutions and strategies in order to make life better. I think Nehemiah was the kind of man under normal circumstances who was emotionally sound and secure. I think he had his feelings in check. And that not suggesting that he was insensitive to others. In fact, I think just the opposite. I think he was a deeply caring man. And he had compassion for others when they were struggling. I think Nehemiah was the kind of man that would shake heaven and earth and do everything within his power, everything he could do to meet needs and to fix problems. Let me ask you, do you have anyone in your life like that? Anyone with that same gifting and quality? I sure do. And I am so thankful for them. I am so appreciative of the handful of people that I know I can call at any hour of the day or night, knowing that these trusted and courageous cupbearers will come running and do whatever they possibly can to help. Again, they're fixers, they're problem solvers. I believe Nehemiah was that kind of man. He was your go-to guy unwavering, unmovable, steady as a rock. And now I'm talking about the rock of Gibraltar. But here in Nehemiah chapter 2, we witness a side of him that we rarely see in the scripture. By his own admission, Nehemiah says, I never once was sad in the king's presence. He's never seen me this way. As his cupbearer and his confidant, the king knows that I'm a relatively optimistic guy, always uh, operating with a level of positivity. If there's one thing the king knows about me, Nehemiah says, he knows that he can count on me. He knows that's the kind of man that I am. However, following the Jerusalem briefing, Nehemiah could no longer contain himself, and he was down in the dumps. 
And as much as he tried to hide it, the king saw right through him. The king had that close of a relationship with Nehemiah. And he said to me, to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, this can only be one thing, sadness of heart. Check it out. Nehemiah the fixer found himself in the middle of a situation he couldn't remedy. And he was overwhelmed with sadness. Bottom line, his heart was broken. And the pain that he was experiencing was dispersed all over his face and his body language. I see a lot of that this, uh, these days. People who just like Nehemiah think they're doing a pretty good job of masking the pain in their life. Hiding their hurts, their emotional struggles, their physical pain, the spiritual trials that they've been through. Putting a smile on their face. Trying to communicate to the people around them that everything is just fine. When the truth of the matter is, it's not fine. And in my role as pastor, I can tell you with honesty and transparency, there is a lot of discouragement, despair, depression, anxiety, and grief among God's people. And yet we go about our daily lives, we put up a good front, we attempt to communicate that we're doing a-okay, and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, those of you who know me well, you know that it's in my nature to be positive and upbeat. I typically see the glass half full regardless of the situation. And I know sometimes you don't want to hear it. I get it. But if you're going through a rough patch and I find out about it, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to encourage you. I'm going to take you by the hand, lead you out of your pit, and try to show you a better place. I've been doing that my whole ministry. If I think you're struggling, I'm going to point you to God, and I'm going to say God loves you with an everlasting love. He knows what you're going through. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's not going to forsake you. And there's always hope for a better tomorrow. I'm going to quote a passage of Scripture like Lamentations 3.23. That says God's mercies are new every morning. How many of you know each and every morning the mercies of God are new? And great is his faithfulness. That's my usual approach. That's what I'm typically going to say to you and how I'm going to respond to situations when you're not feeling all that well. However, today I want to go in a little different direction. Sometimes, just like Nehemiah experienced, you just can't get past your disappointment. No matter what you do, how hard you try, you have sadness of heart, it's there, and it's not going away. And if that's you, if you've been battling for some time now, nobody knows about it, but you've been getting uh, bad reports followed by bad reports, I want to be super sensitive to your pain this morning. 
And instead of trying to say something to fix you, instead of coming up with a clever quote or a passive scripture that'll make your situation better, I just want to stand by your side and support you. I want you to know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and who, who are willing to stand with you. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 says, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And nobody on the face of the earth did that any better than Jesus. The scripture tells us on countless occasions, Jesus came into contact with people who were in pain and immediately he was moved with compassion. That meant that he began to experience and carry the same pain that the people he was in contact with were carrying. Remember with me, Mary and Martha, when they lost Lazarus, their brother died. They were filled with tremendous grief. And when Jesus showed up after Lazarus had died, both of the two girls, Martha and Mary, when you, when you read the text, they're both hurting. They're both upset. They're both filled with discouragement over the passing of their brother. And in response to their pain, how many of you know that Jesus could have said, now girls, wait just a minute. You should know by now I have a plan. I came with a plan. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to do something you've never experienced before, something amazing. I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. I'm going to bring him back to life again. How many know Jesus could have told the girls that? But he didn't, did he? Do you remember what he did? Two words. He wept. He stood alongside the girls with the same sadness and the same pain that they had, and he identified with them. And if you're here this morning and your heart is heavy, I want you to know you've come to the right place. Maybe you could sense right from the beginning as we started worship that there was just a little something special taking place in the sanctuary today. And I don't know that we can fix your problem, make it any better. Don't know if your circumstances will change. We're not even going to try to do that. But I do believe that this morning, as we close out our time together, that in the midst of your pain and your suffering and your difficulty, you can experience the powerful and merciful touch of a caring and compassionate Savior. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I want to remind you the Savior's name is Jesus. And the scripture says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, every sickness, every pain, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the Savior that we serve, he knows what we go through. He's experienced everything that we experience in this life, save nothing. The scripture tells us that when he went to the cross, he carried our sins and our sorrows, every single one of them. He knows where we're at and what we go through. And he's here for us this morning. Can I get you to bow your heads?
I'm going to ask for just a couple of moments here now. Please, no moving around. Everybody just close your eyes because it's going to be a private time. We're going to close out our service with song in just a minute. But before we do, I'm wondering how many of you, if you were honest, would say, I can identify with Nehemiah. I understand and I relate to what he was going through. Because I too have sadness of heart and I just can't seem to get past it. Maybe life hasn't gone your way this year. You know, the first half of the year is over. Maybe you expected something far greater than what's been happening over the last couple of months. Maybe people around you are always looking to you for answers. They unknowingly have put a tremendous amount of pressure on you. And under normal circumstances, you could handle it. You could carry the load. But right now, at this moment, you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. And you're just presenting yourself before the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know how much more of this I can take. If that's you this morning, if you're here, and you could honestly admit this before the Lord when nobody looking around, everybody praying, could I just get you to slip your hand up and put it back down again? I'm going to be a little patient. A lot of hands going up, but I'm going to be patient this morning. Because I believe that if we will allow ourselves to be somewhat vulnerable before the Lord, God would do something miraculous in our hearts. Anyone else? I need a touch from God. I'm so consumed right now with heaviness. I absolutely have to have the Spirit of the Lord lift this off my shoulders. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for all these hands. I thank you for every heart here. Thank you for visiting us with your presence and your power. We know that you're a God who always walks with us no matter where we are, where we go. Your word says even when we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, you are still there. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for how you pass out encouragement and mercy and grace when we need it most. And we're calling upon you in these closing moments, Lord, to do something that the power of the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do. It's not anything that I can say. It's not anything clever that I can communicate. Lord, it's not a prayer that we can appeal to your throne as much as it, as it is the presence of the living God coming up alongside of your people, letting us know that you understand. Move among us, Lord, this morning. In these closing moments, do something supernatural, we pray. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
In the verses that we covered this morning, 
we're told that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, a very capable man, a man who was accomplished, a man who could do great things. And yet there came a time in his life where he lost his composure and he was filled with discouragement and despair. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to read his story. We're going to find out that God did some great things through Nehemiah. I mean, he built the wall. He led a group of people to accomplish this incredible project, which brought spiritual revival to the people of God. I mean, Nehemiah was used in a powerful way. But at this time in his life, these moments that we're talking about this morning, he was down. He was discouraged. And God was teaching him the message of this song. I'm your anchor. I'm your refuge. I'm your safe place. I'm your saving grace. I'm the one you should be looking to. No one else. I'm going to remind you, I said it earlier, the God we serve loves us. I believe I can back that up in the word of God. It's not my opinion. He loves us with everlasting love. He knows what we go through. He's been there. He cares about us. He's always with us. And you might be in so much pain right now that you are thinking, well, if God cares so much about me, if he knows what I'm going through, why doesn't he change the situation and make it better for me? I'm sorry I don't have the answer to that question for you. But I can tell you one thing, and this I've learned over the past 40 years. No matter what we go through, God wants us to trust him. More than anything else, he wants us to put our trust in him. And I'm going to encourage you this morning by reminding you of that. He is a trustworthy God. He's proven his faithfulness. He's a God that we can put our faith in. Can I get you to say this? I will trust in God. One more time. I will trust in God. I will trust in God. Can I get you to stand, please? Usually, when we're planning out the services, we go to the prayer team, the intercessory group that means, meets before church, and we kind of uh, give them a little direction as to how we're going to be closing the service. I didn't know how we would do it today. I, I just didn't know. Figure we'd just leave it up to God. So we're going to close out in prayer. I'm going to invite you, if you want some additional prayer, you can come to the stage and we'll be glad to stand by your side and to support you if you need some additional support. But I think what I'd like to do is just ask you to put your hand gently on the shoulder of the person next to you. We've done this in the past. As a sign that there are people that you can rely upon, people that will be there for you to support you and pray for you, love you and care for you. But it's only a representative of the God we serve. This is a picture of our God. And so, Father, we thank you 
for body ministry right now. We thank you, Lord, for flowing through every person in this place. I'm asking you, Lord, to lift some of that discouragement, some of that heartbreak off of your people today. Lord, we're living in a unique and difficult time. You predicted it. You told us about it in the Gospels. You said it was coming. And Lord, darkness is all around us. We feel it. We sense the attack of the enemy. We know the opposition of Satan, his desires to steal, kill, and destroy. You reminded us of that. You told us that he's deceitful. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. But Lord, sometimes those lies seem so real and they're believable. But Lord, we're going to stand on your word. We're going to put our trust in you. And we're going to believe that you're the God who knows what we go through. You're the God who heals us. You contend with those who contend with us. You fight against the enemy. You raise up a standard against him. Lord, lift your people today. Lift the hearts of your people so they're not so heavy. Lord, we acknowledge, we, we make ourselves vulnerable in your presence. We're not ashamed. We say, okay, we are having troubles. There's some struggles that are weighing us down. They're not going away. Lord, we give them to you. And we pray that a merciful, loving, powerful God will strengthen us and help us to stand. Do that for every person in this place, everyone watching online, everyone listening to the sound of my voice, even after the fact. And Lord, we'll thank you for the power there is in the, in the prayer of agreement. I speak Jesus over this congregation. I speak Jesus over every family, every circumstance, every heartbreak, every betrayal, every sickness, every disease, every addiction. I, we pray the name of Jesus and speak Jesus, the name above every name. And we thank you, Lord, for lifting this congregation to a new level of putting their trust in you. We make that commitment today, Lord. This whole week, our assignment, I will put my trust in you. I will put my trust in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.